Hello and welcome to You Made Me Watch That, where two film studies professors aim to expand each other's cinematic knowledge one recommendation at a time. I am your co-host, Colleen Kennedy-Carpot. And I am your co-host, Wickham Catesby Flanagan. And this week, we are talking about Blonde. Blonde. Andrew the movie, Blonde. The movie that no one can stop talking about. Well, well, mostly because there were literally hundreds of people from the Beale Kent Cinema Society <laughs> lined up around the proverbial block to get in for the screening for this movie. Yes. Which baffles me, but it bring, <laughs> but but it but it brings me it brings me to my opening question because it is the question that I that it keeps sticking in my mind yes. since I watched. I watched it last night in the comfort of my home. So did on I on Netflix the, the two nights ago, but yes. Um and okay, so Wickham Colleen. Enlighten me. Who is this movie for? Oh. <laughs> so I, I I'm both very excited and, and dreading this podcast, and you know how much I love dread. <laughs> Um, yeah, when it's others. What's, I, what's the German I don't, for dread plus Schadenfreunde? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that would be. I'm sure it would sound spectacular. I, I guess for me, Colleen, I might be the target audience for this. Oh, I, 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 don't, I, was, I was afraid you'd say that. I, I know. And I'm afraid to say it as well. I feel very uncomfortable talking about Blonde um, because I, I, I liked it. And I understand why someone would have righteous fury about it. It is not very likable, uh, and and it's not a great movie. I, I don't think that in any way, shape, or form I can really defend it. But here's what I will say about Blonde. The the kind of more overt Lynchian stuff, the, the kind of... It, it's definitely parlayed into my interest of the... Woman with a Problem films, the the shadow men. There are sort of shadowy men in this that are definitely uh, reflective of of that kind of interest, repulsion, illusions, Mulholland Drive, etc. Um, ultimately, Colleen, where I where I kind of get off the bus of hate for Blonde is I felt something. I was emotional. I I. I was I was feeling the the intended effect, which is the cumulative horror of the scenario. And so I I, I was empathetic. I, I wanted her to to get out of the situation. I I mentioned this in my my letterbox review, but I also subsequently wanted Anna de Armas to escape the movie that she was in. because <laughs> uh, I do think there's an interesting we can talk about it. There's like a meta aspect of this that I don't know how intentional that is. Hmm. Um, almost a self-awareness by Dominic of his own movie, his own weird choices. I don't know how intentional that is at all. But when we talk about men, we've talked about men before, and I think there's a lot of points of comparison to men, which is kind of flawed or failed ambition. Also a lot of men in Blonde. Imagine that. A lot of men in Blonde. Whereas men as a movie... Um, uh, with a subsequent shadow man and things of a similar nature, men to me failed as a horror movie. I was not scared. I was not in much suspense. I was intrigued, but that's about it. Blonde, I actually did feel something. And so at the end of the day, we can totally get into its problems and its issues and its, its, your, the white hot righteous fury that you're experiencing. I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> But that's where I kind of that's where I kind of end things is there's a lot of things that I really responded to throughout the movie, not consistently. And I I was really moved by aspects of it. And that's not to say it was consistently moving, but I was I was emotional. So take that for what you will, I guess. Okay, so you are the target audience. I, I'm where guessing. Do you, where do you align with this target audience, though? I mean, I'm, I'm coming back to this because I was struck by um, something that might be apocryphal because I did a quick Google search and could not find it. But you know, David Fincher yes. has gone on record as saying he makes films for the girls and the gays. And I thought those are the two groups you would want 
to Target for a Marilyn Monroe movie of any kind. And yet I feel like both those groups are completely ostracized from any obvious demarcation of a target for this movie. I will say, like, I also researched this because I find discourse about this movie to be actually somewhat fascinating, not that infuriating. There, It's not super gender split in the sense that the female critics, it's about, like, 50-50 on both sides. Like, a lot of male critics hate it. A lot of female critics hate it. A lot of female critics liked it. A lot of male critics liked it. It's that kind of split right down the middle. So I didn't get the impression that that that, that ostracization, if that's a word, um, it, it didn't necessarily translate too much to the at least the critical discourse. Um, though that's not to, it seemed like pretty much people hated it. On you know, it, it was not gender divided. Let's say in that way. Um, but I don't know how reflective that is. That was just me kind of cursorily glancing at reviews. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the glance that I gave the reviews came through you know, IMDb's link to Metacritic. And yeah. all of the positive ones were from men. And the, middle, the fair to middling ones were, I think, a bit more mixed. And that just might yeah. be the luck of the draw. There were obviously a ton, a ton, a ton of reviews for this. It's been really amped up by Netflix yes, and and so on. I mean, it's dropping at a time when you can easily see that they might be trying to do an Oscar run for Ana de Armas, yes. which would be very predictable in the biopic vein. But, I, but what I like yeah. about this movie is it seems very counter Oscars. Like, I, I, it's hard for me to think of an Academy member who's like, yeah, blonde. Well, <laughs> like maybe Ana de Armas, I mean, we could talk about her for a bit. She is really, really good in the movie. I think she does the best she can yes. with what I think is an impossible construction. Yes. I, honestly, the one thing I have zero beef with in this movie is the casting in yeah. general. Yes. I think people are cast to perfection. Um, uh, the guy who played Joe DiMaggio. Oh yeah. Uh, Bobby. Bobby Cannavale. Cannavale yeah. Love this for him. That it was, it was great to see him like Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> of course, it's Bobby Cannavale in this role. And Adrian Brody, as you mentioned, I think is also well cast. Can I give a special shout out? This is like a Wickham's uh, weird little corner here. Um, I don't know how you feel about his performance, but Xavier Samuel, who plays Charlie Chaplin's ah, junior. I looked him up because I thought, who is this guy? He's really, he's an he interesting was, actor. He, yeah. he is in a little... Australian horror film called The Loved Ones, which is one of my favorite horror films. Oh. And he's just kind of been coasting. He's in that Jane Austen adaptation, Love and Friendship. He shows up in that. I think he's one of the vampires in the Twilight series and maybe the sequels. Okay. So he's, yeah. my point is he's in a little indie movie that I really, really love. Um, and so it was nice to see him in this, even if he's a bit sociopathic a bit yes a little a bit, bit unsettling um mm. uh, to put it mildly but i was just happy to see him speaking <laughs> okay. of casting yeah um but yeah everyone yeah. everyone's well well they, uh, yeah adrian they, brody yes but I, it is just they they do what they can for a movie that to me just has has no real purpose and i a lot of this is I'm just thinking about this because it's an adaptation of a book, which is right. really important to mention. And neither and of us is, have read the book. No, neither of us has read the book. That's true. Um, it's Joyce Carol Oates, yes. who, you know, looking into this a little bit, she basically wrote fan fiction. And when you're Joyce Carol Oates writing fan fiction about Marilyn Monroe, yes. you end up with a major publishing deal. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. I mean, this is a... As fan fiction, as like, I'm just going to take Marilyn Monroe and make her a character and try to like work out for my own personal headcanon, me, Joyce Carol Oates, and sort of just imagine all these different scenarios that she can go in. For writing, that that's that's a mode to do it. I mean, I think there's space for this. It's it's a little bit more accepted if you say this is, you know, speculative yeah. fiction. It very overtly based on says, a real person. This based is, this off is what a novel. Fiction is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Based off a novel. But at the same time, once you transfer the stuff to film, you've got this genre of the biopic where there's always a level of fictionalization. I've written yes. about this. I have a whole a okay. book chapter getting into like, 
film theories and this writing this chapter nearly broke my brain in terms of the theories and I can't even cite myself with the understanding I finally came to with this but the point is is that there's that the, the, the biopic in film has these real sort of layers to performance and it ends up connecting in ways that are both more and less obvious to prestige and what we count as a prestige performance, which is why I think they're going to gun for her at the Oscars and Golden Globes and everywhere else, simply because what she has done with this role, what the role is, I mean, it's Ana de Armas as Marilyn Monroe, even if what happens to her is, you know, like 90% invented. Yeah. She has to embody this character in a way that's recognizable. So, you know, I think that's what their plan is. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if she gets at least on the nominees list. Yeah, yeah. I would. I, would I don't know. So. I don't know what kind of you know award season we're shaping up for this year. But anyways, it it's... does feel like that fifteen or that he- heavily marketed fourteen minute standing ovation was probably because she, I mean she was there, and I I mean it, it's a commendable, you know, it's like an endurance thing in a sense for her as an actress, yes. uh, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, but I also think that she does a really good job of kind of translating the emotional kind of aspects of it but yeah yeah her her impersonation is i think spot on as you're going to get um which is always an important element for you know biopic performance there is that level of you have to embody the person that you're yes trying to to portray and you know the sort of the snippets of the films that she did that were refilmed with anna de armas in there i mean at a certain point it occurred to me like what if this was the point what if this is andrew dominic's idea that I can film all of Marilyn Monroe's films and it doesn't have to be with Marilyn and, and you know, just the, that sort of fetishistic recreation of right. the films that made her a star. I, it just, I, I just, I don't understand why we're watching this. It just, it, it doesn't fit as a biopic because it's way too much fiction. It can get the prestige of a biopic. I, I will say I'm here for the wackadoo cinematography. Yes. And that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, that, as that it happens, kind of we carried about, me. Yeah, as through. it happened, we talked about cinematography in 321 this week. Okay, so um, just pick any minute in this movie. That's a good chances way are of phrasing it. Wackadoo. It is really wackadoo. <laughs> uh, although I, I find myself reminiscing about the favorite, which also has extremely oh, yeah. wackadoo cinematography. But it is. It's not quite as wackadoo. Not not quite, but I think I think that's because it's deployed with a much more targeted purpose because the favorite is also about people who were historically real right um and it's it's speculative in this kind of way um but i mean because we don't have widely circulated images of those people in popular culture there's a whole lot more leeway that they have to portray those actual people in different ways with marilyn monroe you're really confined to right. the icons and 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 uh, there was a lot of her life that was reduced to cliches in the worst possible sense and maybe maybe i'm giving andrew dominic way too much credit here and i feel like i often am when i think about this movie but don't do you think that there is an aspect of subversion here that it is not merely a biopic like i i i don't really see i never really like despite her giving this impression it was very difficult for me to see this as Marilyn because of the obfuscation of the filmmaking of it. Even if you have all these recreations, it almost is like a – it felt to me almost inherently like a commentary on these kind of recreations and how they, they feel unnatural. There's something super unnatural about Some Like It Hot being devolving into her – screaming and and scratching her own face that feels like a deliberate subversion the, the the amount of the amount of taking the piss of some like it hot i found incredibly bizarre because that's obviously a very beloved movie you're going to have a very different impression of that movie now when you watch it um because i i've read reviews and they're like saying like it's like uh, i forget if it's new york or new york times but like the person is like a scholar of some like it hot and they don't like the movie because it completely undermines some like it hot. But I wonder if that's part of the point, like to to acknowledge that this is weird, that this is surreal. The idea of taking on this real person and impersonating her. Am I am I crazy in saying that? Because it's 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 the idea of her playing Marilyn. That that that's the whole 
subject matter of the film is like it obviously that is part of the character of Norma Jean is translating it but I could not help but see it as Anna de Armas playing Marilyn as being this kind of unnatural creepy thing because again tonally that's kind of what the movie is playing with anyway so every time that there's these recreations I felt like it was almost commenting on the 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 kind of unnatural quality. It's like because a biopic is like reanimating the dead anyway. See, I I wouldn't call this a biopic precisely because there's so much of this that is completely unsubstantiated. Right, but but there's enough of a grain of like this actually did happen. But, Those right. movies are real. Some of what happened to I mean, her marriages were real. Some of the stuff that happened is condensed, but it's it's actually her life. It's just the, the direction it takes it in is. But did you feel like that that maybe there was some. Subverting meta commentary. What, what is it subverting exactly? It, it's it's inherently commenting on the the kind of weird aspects of what a biopic is. The idea of impersonating a real person while also exploiting that. I, I'm not going to pretend like there's not an element of you know having your cake and eating it too when it comes to portraying a real person. But I do feel like there is an element of at the very least having me consider what a biopic can be, or at the very least, how bizarre it is to attempt to do it in the first place. Um, the idea of playing a real person, the idea of fictionalizing it, the fact that it is so fictionalized, the fact that it is so surreal and, and from this very warped perspective. I don't know. I, 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 I wondered if there was an element of subversion there at the nature of what these movies can be or what they are. The fact that it is pushed to such an extreme, the fact that it is so fictionalized... Um, almost complements this like commentary on what a biopic is. Like you think of like Judy, right? Mm -hmm. I never saw Judy, but like Judy is the conventional uh, version of this, right? Yes. And but but Blonde is at the very least acknowledging. I don't know. At least it had me acknowledge the kind of weirdness of it in the first place. It reminded me of doing that kind of thing. It reminded me of like Andy Warhol's Marilyn Monroe. The painting. The idea, yeah, the idea of mm -hmm. taking an icon and transplanting it someplace else. So, but but at the same time, you're right. I mean, it is, part of it is her life story, but all of the recreations to me, it it, it was a bit fetish, it was fetishistic, but it was also sort of like, the, it was creepy. It was, and I don't know how intentional that was, yeah. the the adherence to the accuracy of that period, the recreation of the photos in these weird contexts um did you did you feel anything like that or do you feel like i'm giving the movie way too much credit um i i think that part of it could be read as some sort of commentary on the biopic i am not sure that it goes so far as subverting the biopic to okay. be honest i do think that it's useful to distinguish between those two things my issue is much more with the fact that the invented stuff, and I don't, again, I don't know how much this goes back to Joyce Carol Oates. Yeah, yeah. I don't know um, if the mom stuff is in the book, for example. But, but I mean, she had a very troubled relationship with her mother. She was in and out of orphanages and foster care and abusive situations and all kinds. Of, she had a really, really troubled childhood. She ended up getting married just to escape all of this. We yeah, don't, yeah. We don't see the we first husband. We don't see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are real, bio, but that's the thing. Like, there are real biographical touchstones that are included in this movie, but it's, it's, it's not really, you know, we, we end up with this. The, the only thing that we can really be sure of, if we know nothing else about Marilyn Monroe besides her movies, the only thing we can walk away from, from this movie, knowing this was representing a real person are the movies themselves. Yeah. And so in that sense, yeah, we're, we're going back to the biopic. We still don't know the real person. Right. But the movie takes like three hours to present us with this invented version of a person who is just pulled through the absolute worst of everything at, at the hands of a bunch of men, a bunch of your shadow men for yes. various reasons. And it's like, did this poor woman not have any female friends? I refuse to believe that she had her mom like, in the insane asylum. No, but, but that's the thing. I mean, it's like her mom is the only woman she ever really talks to. And it's like she did not live like this. There, are, There's ample documentation that she had 
female friends for significant chunks of time, including her acting coaches, which she talks about. And we never actually see in this film. Um, it's just it's like the, just the, the parts of her actual life that were kind of set aside are the parts of her life where she probably had social support and she succeeded in a lot of measures at you know making her own production company. Ultimately, I mean, she was a very smart woman a savvy businesswoman and we see none of that in this movie it's just it's victim 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 for everything that isn't you know the triumph of the movies themselves and we, we see her as being the sort of totally just kind of you know dissociating with this other persona you know calling her Marilyn when it's actually her and you know that that those choices are ones that 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 just I, I think it's weird to fixate on those and yet that is exactly what the movie is asking us to do. And for that reason, I hesitate even to call it a biopic because I think right. that there is some sort of obligation for the genre yeah. to stick to stuff that actually happened, even if there's artistry in how it's portrayed. Yeah. And for all its faults, I think the, the film La Môme, uh, La Vie en Rose with Marion Cotillard mm -hmm. playing Edith Piaf, also a woman who had a really traumatic life in a lot of ways. But just the way that actual events were played out was done with a lot of flair. And her performance was absolutely spectacular. She ended up winning the Oscar that year and so on. So, I mean... Yeah, but the rest of the movie, other than just, okay, yes, it's Edith Piaf, all right. <laughs> it's, you know, these end up being kind of nothing burger movies. Otherwise, Judy, I think, is in the very similar vein. I only watched yeah. about half of it. Um, there's only so much you can really do with the biopic. If anything, I think this is pushing against it. But I think if you push back hard enough, you're, you're just ending up in total fiction. Like, why couldn't Anna de Armas be playing basically a version of herself in 1950s Hollywood? Right. And but I think I encountering think by the using... same shadow men and and you know having okay Charlie Chaplin's son as right you know, well, that's all fictional I think I don't think that Chaplin had... actually did have a son right but I don't think that the... I don't think they had a, a no I don't relationship. think so. no I don't think so I don't think so but, but I mean I, I I did have to go to Wikipedia I I, I promised myself at first like I'm not going to look this up I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be the person checking up to see what's real or not but it's like I, just based on what I already do know about yeah. Marilyn Monroe. Like there's a lot of touch points that you would recognize just from, you know, from, you know, studying movies for as long as you and I have. There's just stuff in the ether about her and what right. her life was. But there there are details that could have been the focus that just weren't. And I think it tells us a lot more about Joyce Carol Oates than it does. Or Andrew Dominic. Or Andrew Dominic or both, really. But I just I that's why I just think this is somebody else's head trip. We learn nothing about Marilyn Monroe through this. We're asking Anna de Armas to sort of we, embody all of it. And it just I don't, I think it gets that the pulled usage, in too many directions. I think the usage of Marilyn Monroe is is like is inherently sort of a of a gimmick. And I understand that using like a real person in the context of a different style of movie is is probably morally bankrupt. But I I think that that gets our gets our attention if nothing else the fact that it is this this real person i, I don't i never perceived it I, I just i never really saw her I, even like the the construction of her as Marilyn that felt like a conceit to have this other movie like you're saying like it could have been anna de armas in in this kind of situation but the fact that it's Marilyn monroe it almost makes you sit up it almost makes you pay more attention um but let, let me get to my meta component of it, because I really feel like it's a movie about Anna de Armas more than anything else. The, the the scene that I think is quite good at illustrating that is when she is in an audition, when she is playing, uh, she she's translating her trauma, Marilyn's trauma, uh, Norma's trauma, into a role, and everyone is sort of rejecting it, mm -hmm. even though it's clearly a very impactful performance. There are there are tons of moments that feel deliberately meta of like Anna de Armas can play this character, you know, not this real person perhaps, but this character of Marilyn because maybe she has also undergone similar sort of pushback because of her kind of appearance. I, I, I really wonder because Anna de Armas has played roles consistently that play with her attractiveness or at least acknowledge it in interesting ways. There's the Blade Runner, which was probably 
I don't know how uh, Anna de Armas up you are on her filmography. Did you, you saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine? I right? did. I, c- I couldn't tell you what she was in that. She is the um, the fake uh, wife figure who's oh, a hologram. To the hologram. So she's playing yeah, up right. like the perfect woman kind right. of thing. And then in another movie, which is a film you should watch, Colleen, and everyone should watch that I have not seen, but I just premise why she's in a movie called. An Eli Roth picture called Knock Knock, where she seduces a, mar- a married Keanu Reeves and then proceeds to torture him. So I think we should all watch this. I think this should be an episode. <laughs> I think we should, you know, write books about it. Point being, and then Knives Out, like she's not even, her attractiveness is not even a factor into the movie, which is one reason why I, I appreciate that movie. And then No Time to Die is another thing. Um, my point is, I wonder if there is a sense of self-reflection about her as an actress in this industry. And you say that there's no point to it, or at the very least, what is the point to it? I don't know. I mean, a movie about systematic oppression is is not necessarily something we see every day in this industry. A movie about the the horrors of of being a you know a, an attractive woman trying to to make it in this business like just because she has this kind of star power uh like i don't know i, I haven't seen many movies that deconstruct i mean it, it's it's not something it's it's in the media you know it's it's become more um prominent as a discussion point but i don't know i don't i feel like the more we can acknowledge the horror of someone in that position I, I don't see how that could be a, a bad thing. Well, I think the horror itself is invented. But I mean, it's the, not the invented it's... for probably millions of, of yeah, but, but young actresses. But why actresses. do we have to attach it to Marilyn Monroe? Because I that, mean, that, gets us, that gets us in the seat. Oh, but that's... Uh-uh. I, I, would, I, mean, I would not have lasted more than 20 minutes in this movie <laughs> if it weren't for the podcast. Because it doesn't do that for me. What I would want is a version of Marilyn that actually tries to reconstruct some of the success. I mean, we know the tragedy. I mean, her name is synonymous with tragedy and early death and just trouble, trouble, trouble. I guess trouble, for me, trouble. And, I guess and for there's me, all it's these not. Deta- well, it just, it's... And I'm not going to say it is now because I don't really see it as Marilyn. I, I think, you know, certain shots, I mean, maybe gentlemen prefer blondes. If I ever watch any of these movies that, uh, that are referenced that I have not seen, maybe I would feel differently. But I, I don't know. I... I, I uh, yeah, I, I go ahead. Sorry, I'm no. It's just I'm rife it, with thought. Well, yeah, but to me, it's it's we're we're asking this already traumatized person. I mean, she she had a very traumatic life in many ways, but I mean, in in forcing her to carry the burden of even invented trauma, it's not even the stuff she actually lived through. But we're going to amplify the worst of it. We're going to cut out the social support systems that she did end up building for herself. I think that that does her own legacy a disservice because the film itself is not really clear about what it's making up and what's not. It, it's very clear that like this is made up. It's invented. It's fictional. So, I, <laughs> it just I understand that there there is there is sort of a commentary level that can be accessed for this. And again, I think through writing. We can accept that, okay, this isn't really Marilyn, and we go through it, but as yeah. soon as we put it to film, there is something that shifts, and it's really hard to articulate what shifts. Okay. But there is, it, it's it, it, having to adopt so much of sort of the biopic baggage. The film ends up doing something that I think really is ethically suspect, and to that put it is mildly. Where I will probably agree with you. I, I, I think we are both savvy enough to watch this movie that is very experimental, it, it, it's trippy and weakened and 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 fictionalized, and I I pick up on all this meta stuff the the the, the idea of the the scene that we don't have to talk about but is probably the most upsetting scene with the JFK. Um, I was going to ask that's where you kind of noped out a bit, right? <laughs> I noped out a really bit. Well, the I the the black misplaced or in t- I have no idea comedy of him climaxing to weird spaceships crashing into monuments on the television I still don't understand what the heck 
Do you do you were you on your phone? Do you remember this? I, I I saw him show up and I saw what was happening. It's just like this is it is so bizarre as a scene. But but even in that moment, the camera kind of pans back and she's and while she's committing this this act on JFK, the uh, fellatio, the the camera pans back and we she's in a movie theater and she's reflecting on her being in a movie about this event as a way of coping with it, which is again another sort of weird meta layer to it that I wonder if Anna de Armas is, is reflecting. I don't know. I have no idea what the level of collaboration she had with Andrew Dominic. From what I understand, they got along pretty well. Yeah. They would have I to, guess. my God. <laughs> um, but my point is, what was my point? I had a point. <laughs> I had a point here, somewhere in here. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know, Colleen. You do know she was not the original casting choice for the role. Oh, well, here's what the, I was going to say. This has the, been in production the, for like a million years. The ethical quandary, going back yeah, to what yeah, I was yeah. saying. We are both savvy enough. I, I, I know that it's not real. I can understand that it is taking poetic license. It's, it's taking liberties. And I, I personally think it's using Marilyn Monroe deliberately to sort of make me reflect on I don't know, the, the meta nature of it, the, the biopic aspect of it, the, the commentary inherent within it. But not a lot of people are going to do that. They're going to watch this movie and they're going to be like, oh, Marilyn, really? She had a rough time. Yeah. They're going to take it on a very sort of basic level. And that is where I have to concur that ethically it, it becomes a little bit more problematic. Yeah. Because maybe not. maybe I can at least acknowledge the the discrepancies, but other people maybe won't do their research or don't understand kind of maybe some of what the movie's going for, or at least what I'm projecting onto it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can think about maybe other films that are trying to rewrite history. Because um, I was thinking of Quentin Tarantino. I was, yes. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes to mind. Or Inglorious Bastards. Or Inglorious Bastards. This is true. But I mean... Uh, one it's of the okay big... as long as you're killing Hitler. Well, well, I mean, but Jonathan Rosenbaum, a major film critic, yeah, really railed against *Inglorious Bastards* precisely for the way that he's rewriting history, and that you know his his take was like this: we shouldn't be doing this because how many people at a certain point are going to be coming to that movie, yeah. understanding what actually happened, and right. understanding that this is just not real. For Inglorious Bastards, though, and even for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like those are really kind of the second stories. Like the the stories that he's trying to tell us in both of those focus on people who are invented, and yeah. and and that's where we get the, the the thrust of the narrative ultimately. Like the, it's just cameos. I mean, it, it is nice to see like Margot Robbie um, being um, Sharon Tate. Um, she and, and and she's doing very similar things. She's seeing herself in the movie, thing, right. but she's taking pleasure. That, and it's just it's sort of it's not to take her down. It is sort of to think like there is like what would have happened if she had lived. Well, and there that, is like a that fetishistic one, yeah. quality to. I, I agree with you. Where things got a little icky for me with that wasn't so much what he was doing, which is like let's let's say Sharon Tate. It was more like the fetishistic like recreations of the places she went that night. Hmm. If you remember Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before the, the everything hits the fan, that felt a little odd. The idea of like, we're going to recreate this night and we're going to have a voiceover prepping you for what happened that night. It felt like a weird, like, because Glorious Bastards doesn't do that. Hitler no. happens yeah. to be there. Brought um, into a movie theater. Into a movie theater. Yeah. And the power of movies kills him or whatever. But, um, yeah. but that felt a little odd. Like there is a, a recreation aspect, which is also in Blonde, this idea mm -hmm. of recreating this. And, but Blonde is maybe doing, is, is recreating the movie version of her. Um, so it's maybe slightly different, but, but yeah, I, yeah. I think Tarantino, yes, there is a more of a liberating kind of celebratory quality to it. Yeah. I mean, and it, it hinges on sort of what if this one thing hadn't happened? Yes. And, that of course radiates certain changes in in the story beyond that, but I mean with this one it's it's not, it's, it's just the whole movie it's the yeah. entire movie yeah, yeah. it's really just top to bottom, and again you have to sit there with the Wikipedia page and then you realize the Wikipedia page also is not answering a lot of key questions that you have about you know how this is going on and just and it just 
Yeah, I, I'm just not on board with what this does. I'm not on board with what it does to Marilyn Monroe's legacy, which I think if if you know if we're going to to keep her around in our cultural iconography, and at this point we kind of can't do without her, it that there should at least be some effort to see things from her standpoint and publicize who she really was before we get back to this. Okay. Now let's go back to the image and, and question the image and destroy the image. It just, I, I don't think that people know the truth. I mean, and maybe it's obviously and part of the point is it's impossible to know the truth about right. real people, <laughs> but it just, it there's, there's no way we're going to arrive at anything useful either about Marilyn or about the moment she was living, or even about these kinds of traumas, to be honest. Okay. I, I don't think I, 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 you know, I, am I feeling for some totally fictionalized version of Marilyn Monroe? Am I feeling badly for Anna de Armas that she has to be put through all this? I think, I think and if, I, I did. Just to get her Oscar nomination or whatever she thinks is going to happen <laughs> as, a result, as a result of being in this movie. I, I just, I, I Nothing. I mean, I, I feel nothing. You feel nothing. <laughs> except, except the occasional. So bit who's of disgust. the sociopath now? No, I mean, I just it's it's <laughs> except the bit of disgust. Why on earth are we seeing it like this? What what is the point of because this? Because it's, it's 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 meant to be. It's a uh, Mark Kermode. It's a provocation. It's a horror film. It's, Mark Kermode framed it as a horror film, and know. and I and I and I think as a genre picture. Like a lot of people were saying, like you were saying, like why don't we see a more diverse side of Marilyn? But that's not the that's not what the movie is going for. The movie is going for true despair and horror and 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 everything else. And I don't think that elements of it. Can I get to my criticisms first of all? I don't think it's a perfect movie, and I and okay. I and I and I totally acknowledge. I think the script can be quite laughable at times. A lot of what they're saying is a little on the nose. <laughs> To put it mildly, I didn't write down any quotes, but I just remember thinking, like, you would, didn't need to frame it like that. We we understand what the point of this is. It's a little obvious. Calling um, her I'll, various husbands daddy all the time, for example. I thought everyone was named Danny. I thought, because she has sort of an accent. But I, I thought that everyone was named Danny. I'm like, did she marry everyone named Danny? And then it occurred to me, oh. Yes. And it goes back to the idea of like everything revolves around men being yeah. problematic. I understand that. It's hugely that. problematic. And, and, a, and a really terrible mother. And a terrible mother. Yeah. Which that whole opening, my, my dad watched the first five minutes and he turned it off because he was like, this is the most histrionic thing. This is, this is, is yeah. heightened to such a level. Yeah. And so like I totally get that. It's It's preposterous. But like the aesthetics of it, like there was constantly things that kind of drew me in just aesthetically from it through her performance different kind of choices the the some like it hot bit especially because i think that's where the premiere happens where everyone has large mouths which feels mm -hmm. very lynchian even the seven year it itch kind of upskirt shot um with just like throngs of men everywhere there are just some sort of there's like a dream-like quality to some of these visuals and the the aforementioned some like it hot. They do the nobody's perfect, and then everyone stands up in fast motion and goes, <laughs> and then they all sit down. Like the transitions in her in the plane when she there's like an audience for her to go to the bathroom, and then she goes back down. I can't dismiss that these are really effective tools to put us in this incredibly horrifying mindset. And while the movie is like way too long. It does not. I, the JFK scene is the scene where I'm. I, I just sort of went. Do we really? Do we really need this? We already had the, the mm -hmm. black humor in that. Yeah. I don't. I don't it's, understand. No. I don't understand that. But I guess by the end, Colleen again, and this is where I keep coming back to it. It it worked on me because I was emotional. I I wanted her to be happy. I wanted her to be okay. And the movie was not willing to let that happen. And I understand how that is questionable. <laughs> You're inventing everyone else. You're inventing everything else. I just, I agree with you. Like th these moments where we see this sort of artistic take on the price of fame and this experience, yes. like that premiere, 
that's really interestingly done. But like that's the kind of thing. Like if we look back at La Vie en Rose, yeah, that's the kind of thing that that movie does okay. really well. Okay, without going into just total speculation about what Edith Piaf's life was actually like. I think you could have done a, a, a film, a, a more proper biopic, in fact, where the point would be fame equals horror and put Marilyn Monroe at the center of this without mining details from a life that never actually happened. I agree. That If that had been what this movie really was... Then I think you'd have a much stronger case to make, but it is precisely because we've got like this bizarre JFK thing where it's like this does not answer anybody's question about Marilyn with JFK, and and it like it gives this and it almost mocks us for asking, but it's you know like just either don't resolve this or don't bring it up or it just it you know to maybe to cut bring down it on the runtime. Well, well, there's also this problem, yeah, and so again, I just. <laughs> Are we not allowed to think about this? That's not it. It's just it's it's once you put this stuff to film, yeah, because yeah. there are these sort of expectations that we attach to biopics. There's simply, I mean, cr putting elements of horror into the biopic sounds like a really fascinating way to do it. But yes, but and I guess the, that the is where yeah, I yeah. But I the liberties of invention, just I can't get on board with any of it. None of it. I don't know. I I think. I think as I think as a experience, um, I think it's somewhat worth it in the sense that it it, it at least is, is is challenging viewing. I, I I am I am I am perceiving it. I am twisting around in my brain clearly differently than you are, and I can fully acknowledge that to a different person, it is it is this kind of blasphemous thing, and that is where I have difficulty talking about it but at the end of the day i am not seeing it that way and i am not i am not perceiving it in a way that feels like the the artifice of it is anything other than maybe being an intentional subversion um the the idea of making all this stuff up i i i, I personally find that kind of fascinating and i don't feel like i'm my perception of Marilyn is tainted because of that, because I'm perhaps perceiving it differently. But I can acknowledge, yes, other people looking at it can view it that way, can see Marilyn in a different light that is problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah Wickham, the movie has her unborn fetuses talking to her. Well, that I think we can all relate to. Um, <laughs> Just, no. <laughs> I, um, very yeah, distinctly. Yeah. Someone no. <laughs> someone did a review that said that it was like anti-abortion, and I yeah. and I could I mean I but that but that's the but it's like of, men yeah. intruding on again yeah further. In, in very yes but but again like, it's one of those things where you look at biographies and yet she had several miscarriages she yeah. had you know she had problems she never had she never bore a child of her own um, it's it's less clear whether we're talking about elective abortion or natural miscarriages. There's um, some speculation that she had endometriosis, which is also an extremely painful. Oh, and, really? okay. and and I mean, but this is my point. I mean, but that's there, not the there, that's not the movie. The it's, movie. It's not the movie. But I just that that kind of thing. It's just it's sensationalizing this element that has very very real pain that doesn't look or feel at all like what this is and there's no sense that 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 Norma Jean or Marilyn or whoever was going to feel what she felt with this kind of stuff and yes that that's the elements of this this sort of invented horror that goes along with it but you don't you don't need to invent that much to get horror out of that exact situation and yeah I, I think there I think you're right I think there is a way that this could have been done more tastefully many ways in fact the talking fetuses as well. Oh my god! But again, I'm just sort of like uh, that's that's freaking weird. Like I, I I guess ultimately when I say I'm the target audience, Colleen, like I'm just I'm just like what 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 an odd choice. What a weird thing to have done. Why would you do this with a real person? Why why are you having all these sort of meta commentary things? Like I really loved when um, there's a faceless. Uh, Adrian Brody at one part where he's like, I'm your husband. Like this kind of surreal imagery of her coming home and not seeing him as being yeah. anything. Yeah. And so I guess that those are the kinds of things, that kind of brazenness, that kind of like shock of like, oh, they're they're doing this. The the 
that carried me, mm. and that's why I feel very uncomfortable talking about it. And then I guess ultimately why I, I appreciate I can't say I really liked it, but what I appreciated is that I did I did feel it, whether or not it was manufactured or not, whether or not it was based on anything real or not, I felt, again, the desired feeling, which is the, the horror of this particular woman's situation, whether it was Marilyn Monroe, whether it was Anna de Armas, that is for me to sort of make up my mind about, I guess. But um, what did you make of, uh, as a side note here, the, the I wanted to bring up the NC-17 thing. Ah. Because I feel like that is sort of a marketing trope. Yes. And Armist is in an NC-17 version of a Marilyn Monroe biopic. Yeah. And she's topless a bunch of the time. Right. Did you find she that is to be... To- she is topless more often in this movie than Tom Hardy is pantsless in Taboo. I just want to point this out. Well, that was like a television show. It was exactly, and it was a television show. I don't know why over you're bringing multiple this episodes. up. I feel like you're you're attacking <laughs> me. I am, in fact. Did you find that to be like exploitative of like? Because I, I I personally did I didn't I don't what, think the, 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 the NC seventeen rating or the fact that she's topless the fact or? that she uh, she's periodically topless yeah did you find that to be an, annoying or problematic or no, uh, okay no. okay because I I didn't either and I no. feel like people have also mentioned that as being like. Oh, it's exploiting Anna de Armas. It's exploiting. Well, didn't the... she agree to do it? I mean, it's only exploitative if, if you a... know, she's doing this against her will. And she be... was often in that position when it, it felt like the movie was intending for her to be sort of vulnerable in that moment or in, in a state of kind of hysteria. I didn't feel like the movie was ogling her unless it was deliberately ogling her. Like there's an iris moment hmm. uh, where another character is ogling her. Yes. Um so, but I, I mean, it, I mean, probably the male gaze is all over this. I'm not going to. What do you mean probably? <laughs> I, I, I mean, again, the only again, other real very, woman character is, is the terrible mother. This. Yes. That's it. <sighs> yes. But the movie, you know, is reflecting the male gaze and how it's a horrifying nightmare yeah, as well. But, it's... Um, but yeah, the NC-17 thing, I. I, I, we both have seen a movie called This Film Has Not Been Yet Been Rated. Yes, this Film Is Not Yet Rated. Which yes. is a fantastic documentary about the MPAA and how yes. seemingly conservative and corrupt it is mm-hmm. and how it's biased towards violence as opposed to anything overtly sexual. Yes, and that's almost a 20-year-old documentary at this point, I it's think. Still it's still very relevant yeah, to mid, me. Yeah, mid-2000s, I think, is the... Uh... I watched, date on that. I watched something like um, Lust Caution, and I that movie is sort of about the, the sex scenes, and so it, it's it's very That's beautifully Ang filmed. Lee? But what? Ang Lee's Lust Caution? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I we should do it. We're I, jump. Yes, we're 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 set to do an Ang Lee episode. Yeah, I really I love just, that movie, but uh, I can sort I of it understand. It was a different documentary, called, also called Lust Caution. No, for some that would be an interesting documentary. <laughs> um, no, I understand why that movie's probably NC seventeen, but I look at this and I'm like. Does it need to be, like, is that just for marketing? And then I, I thought about in the documentary they talk about overtly things had to be censored in movies that showed female pleasure. That a woman uh, kind of orgasming, like a close-up of that had to be cut as opposed to a violent, ab- abusive scene or whatever right. else that had to be cut. And there is a scene like that in yep. Blonde, and I wonder if... That is why it got NC-17. And if it is, then that also reflects back on this whole cycle of like like glorifying, you know, a, a, a violence and oppression in movies and how that's okay. But then the one moment she has some bliss, that's what know. we have to rate uh, NC-17 about. I'd take issue with the idea that that was bliss. Um, I think it's not presented as quite so straightforward. Um, it's about as yeah, and there are also multiple like multiple <laughs> well, she's interior like, like shots a... of her of her abortion procedures. Yeah, but so, that... I, mean, you're, I mean that's literally like you're you're. It's so abstracted. The ca- it is ab- it is abstracted, yeah. but I think that is also something that is detailed enough and gruesome enough, and if you sort of you know layer that into it enough, that that may also have tilted the scale i don't all it says I am not is as that some sexual content that is literally that's what's on the rating that's all it says it could be the jfk bit it could also be that that's not quite so explicit yeah they, i mean it's it is framed in a way that they could have gone there and didn't like yes. obviously chose not to um 
So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, I think. I think you have a point. I think that is absolutely part of that rating, but it's almost like, but it's maybe. Well, I'm not going to watch that video essay with all due respect. (laughs) You can show it to someone else. Okay, okay. For your notes, because I don't, I don't want to revisit this movie. Okay. No. I don't. I'll get my wackadoo cinematography from The Favorite. Okay. Which, which is, yeah. I'm a sucker for wackadoo cinematography for weird surrealistic visuals for some for sort of reason heightened just, melodramatic social commentary yeah i just we, we we needed some sort of marilyn who wasn't balance. marilyn you needed you wanted balance i mean wouldn't it have been more interesting wickham if it really were like remaking some like it hot but name it something else peas porridge hot or something and and just put this this you know, put Ana de Armas as, I don't know, what what could we name her? That's very clearly Marilyn Monroe, but not Marilyn Monroe. And then then put her through all of Monroe, this. Monroe, Marilyn. Then you really have, I think, something interesting. I guess because, Colleen, because I can see that other movie in this movie, and I could not see that other movie in any other movie, I appreciate that this exists. I can see a better version of it. I can see mm-hmm. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But this movie helped me see that. And some of its more brazen choices I find to be thought-provoking. And and whether or not it's good thought-provoking or bad thought-provoking is up for debate. But I appreciate that I can see that better movie within this movie. Yeah. I, I think if you say Ana de Armas in an NC-17 film, you're attracting the exact same audience as you would if you say Anna de Armas is Marilyn Monroe in this movie. What does that That's mean? my bet. What I is, I, I just I, I think I think your argument from before that the people coming to see this are coming because it's Marilyn Monroe at the center and this is why yes. you can't fictionalize you know you can't go to- total fiction. My argument is you go total fiction Make it very clear in all of your marketing that she's playing a fictionalized Marilyn Monroe with a to- with a different name, um, you know, Marianne Moser or something. You know, okay. like just something. You know, <laughs> come up with something that that you know rings like a, like a parody, basically, uh, but not play it for parody. Yeah, and yeah. you just put her through the exact same ringer. You're going to get the same people. Okay. That's that. That's the thing. Because if they're there to see Marilyn Monroe, it's that biopic logic, and it's and you're feeding them something that isn't real, and it's and that's where we get the friction. That's where we get the friction. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally acknowledge. Um, I I just I find it a very hard movie to sort of dismiss. And again, um, but I I totally <laughs> I totally acknowledge what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's a very difficult movie to think about. It's a very difficult movie for me to talk about, and. And I, I don't know how I should feel about myself, uh, frankly, yeah. Colleen. Um, but I, I guess at the end of the day, I, it, we go back to, you know, Cosmopolis or just like singular experiences. Well, there you go. There you go. I would rather watch Cosmopolis. You would rather watch Cosmopolis 40 times in a row than watch Blonde again. Um, I wouldn't say that. Okay. That's a lot of times. That's an even swap. Okay. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but Andrew Dominic's an interesting, I mean... I would. His other movies aren't quite as insane. Uh, really? No, I was not. wondering about this because I've heard of these other films and I don't think I've seen any of the other ones. Uh, Assassination from Jesse James. Coward Robert Ford has mm-hmm. a bit of his visual flair. It's, it's shot with kind of older lenses and cameras. It's mm. very visually uh, interesting. I've only seen like the first twenty or so minutes of it. It's like a three-hour movie. Um, another three-hour movie. Andrew but it, Dominic. Tight 90 minutes. Tight 90 minutes. Please. I have seen his other film, uh, Killing Them Softly, which plays out like a kind of grungy noir with Brad Pitt pontificating about capitalism. And that movie was fine. It was like a fairly philosophical noirish hitman movie. And it, 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 it didn't leave too much of an impression, but I watched it. And I'm like, that was an interesting way of approaching the subject matter. So... That movie is not, it's not super strange. It's not avant-garde. It's not trying to be anything other than it is. So that might be an, I mean, you probably hate him now, Andrew. Um, Does it have wackadoo cinematography? It has very nice cinematography. I don't believe it has wackadoo. It does have like really like grungy, gross, like 
thieves and robbers, and then Brad Pitt shows up and he just kind of kills them all. And then before he kills them, he talks about how bad capitalism is. Well, Blonde was produced by Brad Pitt's company. Right. Brad Pitt's also Jesse so James. These guys, yeah, exactly. So these guys have history. Yes. Okay. But um, but yeah, Blonde, Blonde. Colleen, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's captured it sure some sort of interest in everyone apparently uh i'm <laughs> i i am i'll go on record as saying i'm done thinking about blonde you're done thinking about blonde yep. i uh, can appreciate that <laughs> it might be in a video essay of okay. mine good luck with that good luck with that no one else is going to want to preview it <laughs> i've never i've not met anyone else who likes it uh, blonde yeah oh well my my confidants uh who if no one has really been super positive on it and the reviews i've listened to and watched have also been very mean so so yeah again uh i don't i don't want to repeat myself too much don't really know how i feel about it but it made me feel something so i think it's probably good for me but i don't know i don't know what that says about me colleen i don't know if you want to quit the podcast well, now th well this from the guy who dressed up like the guys from funny games this is from the, yeah the same so person. i mean it fits <laughs> so you're saying that only the killers from funny games should be able to enjoy blonde. i'm just saying that 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 venn diagram is maybe not a full circle but we're getting close uh, i feel like it reveals a lot about me and that's maybe you and joyce carol Oates joyce carol could Oates, sit yeah. down and have a coffee and discuss this at greater length yeah. i wonder what she thinks about the movie yeah i, I would be um, curious but yeah anyway Let's just like have a, you know, let's just sort of trail off into nothingness <laughs> like the movie does. We're gonna sit here and stare at the wall. The, oh, that's just, don't misrepresent the ending. It doesn't trail off. There's a very definitive ending here. Although it, there is a dog in the last There is seat. a dog, and that is and Anna de Armas's dog. That's did, another did, meta did she, did connection. Did she have a dog? I mean, was I staring at my phone when the dog was in other scenes? No, like, no, no. All no, of a sudden, the Anna's like, thing, there's yeah. the dog. What? Did she have a dog? No. <laughs> but Marilyn Monroe had a dog. And Anna okay, Darmas we don't had see it until Anna Darmas had the same dog, or it looks similar. It, uh, it can't be the same dog. It's I don't know. Okay. No, it's not literally the same dog. <laughs> but Anna Darmas <laughs> talked about it in interviews how it was the. We're gonna have to same. get into other podcasts about dog lifespan. About dog life. Did you span. like that? Like what? not to spoil the ending, that superimposition of like Marilyn on top of uh, Anna uh, on top of Norma. You were you were so checked out by that point. It gave me like cold chills. It was terrifying. Anyway, these are the kind of things I liked about it. Okay. I was absolutely checked out by that point. I'm thinking, did I miss the dog in every other sequence of this film? And there's the dog at the very end. What's going on? <laughs> if you if you pay close attention, Colleen, if you rewatch it, you can see the dog. Or there's the like a dog dish the... in different scenes. And I'm like, that's the Easter egg, I guess. Yes. And at the end, there's the actual There's dog. a great metaphor, uh, a very very important reason for the dog to be there. Is but, there? No, I don't But know. I mean, she's not as alone as we would have thought. She at least has a dog. I just, anyway. <laughs> Didn't that... you like the part where she's looking for money for the oh, delivery man that... and it goes on for... And it just, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Anyway. 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 That's our episode. <laughs> you made me watch that. Is or was a production of the it, Department it of Communication be. and yes. Design at Bill Kent University. You can support the podcast by subscribing with your favorite audio app and by following the Bill Kent Cinema Society on Instagram at Bill Kent Cinema, all one word. There will be future screenings through the semester, so please check up on that for other titles. Our cover art was designed by Denis Vadi Tungur, and our weekly thumbnails are designed by Ali Eren Celebi. Our theme music was composed by Dazia Zavsky, who you can also follow on Instagram and Spotify. This episode was produced by Tylan Akul and the Bielkent Cinema Society with extra teshekirler to our tech wrangler, Uzjan Akar. Wickham, do you have any special thanks at the end of this episode? Well, it feels very appropriate, but I, I do wonder how much I am tainted by my enjoyment of David Lynch, to the extent that if I see a movie that is taking some of his sort of visuals, even the premise of something like Mulholland Drive, Again, that's the fictionalized one, right? Mulholland Drive's the fictionalized yeah, yeah, yeah. actress. Well, Naomi Watts was supposed to do this, wasn't she? Wasn't she the right. first one cast for this? I remember that, yeah. So then... She was in the running, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if that has tainted me, Colleen. And that, that, and that 
puts a definite spin on where I'm, I, if it has some interesting surreal visuals that comments on the nature of the, the terrible nature of Hollywood, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in for it. And, and I don't know how I feel about that in relation to this movie specifically, but I still love you, Lynch. Just saying. Thank you, Wickham. 